What's up, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Better with Paul. Now, if this is your first time, then I'm excited for you. But if you've been here before, then guess what? I'm just as excited for you, baby. Let's get it going. Another episode of Better with Paul. Yeah. I've got a story to tell. <laughs> lay down, lay down. Yeah. I'm this is, ready. This is a good story. William and Selchuk have not heard this story before. So this is good. They're going to be paying attention to this one. <laughs> and I've never told the story ever. Oh, oh this is exclusive. Yeah. Exclusive. So when I was growing up, I was obsessed with many things, one of which was war, mm. battles. And I think it's because I uncovered a book that my father had where he was in the military. Mm. Right? So he went to Vietnam. He was an engineer in Vietnam. And I saw a photo of him in this military attire. And ever since then, I was obsessed with the military. I would watch every documentary I could of the military. I would watch television shows on the military. I would ask if I could be a soldier for Halloween. Like wow. that was how serious I was to the point where I joined the NJROTC because it was offered in my city. Now, you know what that is? I do, yes. Yeah, that is the Naval Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps. So this was- I thought it was New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This was a group of people, mostly guys, right? A lot of guys in this group who were going to attend or be a part of the military. And so it was training to become an officer in the military. Right. So did this for a number of years to the point where I was selected to go off to Quantico one yeah. summer. Now, Quantico is the Marine training camp, mm -hmm. not too far out of D.C., and I went there and the whole objective of this summer was to train to simulate a battle at the end of the summer. So here I was, four years deep in NJROTC, now I'm here at this leadership training camp and every day we are training, training, training me, lots of other, mostly guys in here, training for this battle. Now, fast forward to the end of the summer. It's the night before the battle. Now, I have been training for this thing basically for four years. I've been obsessed for probably eight years. And I thought about the next day, and I literally start crying. Mm. I'm scared. Like, I'm talking oh. about, you know when you saturate your pants, scared? <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's where I was. I'm so using that one. <laughs> <laughs> saturate your pants. Now, it wasn't just me, though. Because as I looked at my bunk, we were in barracks. So when I looked to the left, I saw other folks that were putting their head in their, their pillows. They were crying a little bit. I looked to the right, the same thing. We were all scared. We were so scared that they brought in someone to console us. So they brought in this military guy who had you know, been a part of war before, been a part of a battle. And he came in and he basically scared us even more, <laughs> right? Yeah. But he went on to tell us that it's the moments before the battle mm. that are most stressful. Mm -hmm. The moments before the battle is when you have the highest number of deserters. The moments before the battle is when you freak out. But if you can just get through that, mm -hmm. everything is going to be okay, right? Everything will be okay. That moment, that feeling that I had, I'll never forget. And there was only one other time since then that I felt that way. 
And that was the night before my wife and I went to marriage counseling. Yeah. I felt the same exact way. Saturated the pants, yeah, right? Yeah. I was stressed. Uh-huh. I was freaking out. And the reason why is because, at least in my, I can just only speak for, for me, we, I, we live in a what I call traditional marriage. I was supposed to be the leader. I was the man. I was the leader of the household. And I felt like going to this marriage counseling was in me admitting failure. It's mm. exactly how it felt. And what I realized is I was completely stressed, completely scared, but we got through it. As, and as a result of getting through it, we're so much better for it. And so the idea of today, bringing you guys in today, is that there are many, many people feeling exactly the same way, which is why I believe so many of us don't go to marriage counseling and don't go to get therapy. And what I want you to do is I just want you to introduce yourself by name, where you're from, and what you're passionate about. And then I'm going to talk about you. Okay. All right. Am I going first? Of course. I am Esther Boykin. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I'm from Washington. I'm going to claim Washington, D.C. today because I've been here for (laughs) two decades, about. I am passionate about... I am passionate about your story, about helping people understand that it is really the fear and anxiety before you do the thing, before you take that step towards changing a relationship, that is the worst. Everything after that is moving in the right direction and it feels better even if it's hard. Okay. I love it. I love that. (laughs) Dr. George James, Dr. J, or even George is cool. <laughs> Can we call uh, you George? Yeah, George is perfectly fine, actually. I, I go by that most most times. <laughs> uh, from Philadelphia, or uh, that's where I'm living uh, in the Philadelphia area. And what am I passionate about? The thing that I think about the most is equipping couples with the necessary tools, um, resources, and ways to interact so that they can have a long-lasting, happy, fulfilling relationship. Yeah. Uh, in particular, I have a even stronger passion for those who are married. Okay. Well, this this is good because, well, one, welcome. Right? Thank you. Uh, this is really good because you said particularly those who are married. I think that we have a lot of listeners who are married, but we also have a lot of listeners who are just in a relationship that they think is committed, mm-hmm. but their <laughs> partner's acting a fool, so they don't know you know, how, how committed it really is. I thought we were going this way. <laughs> yeah, but what the hell happened, right? Uh, but, but I want to talk about you guys real quick because I am so happy that you're both here. I, I'm, like, I'm talking about I'm elated. And the reason why is because we could have done this with many other therapists, many other counselors, but I needed you both to be here because I highly respect the two of you at the to the to the utmost to the point where I have referred friends to both of you right so that's how serious it is mm-hmm. that's that's how real it is this is real right uh, so thank you very much for for, for being here you. you know where I want to start with this is before we get into the how do we strengthen a relationship how do we build back up you know and and make our our relationship utopia. William is always laughing at me. I don't know what he, why is he laughing at me? I want to talk about how do we know if we just shouldn't put in the work? 
Mm. Right. How do we know that this person is just not worthy of us putting in the effort? Is are there any indicators to know that the relationship is not salvageable? When either of you don't want to do the work. That is my most basic core answer. And I think, and it sounds really sort of simple and blase, but I think it is a question people are afraid to ask themselves and that we don't feel like it's okay to say, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Like mm-hmm. I, I committed, I said I loved you, but there is a point at which when you understand what it would take for you to get on one accord where one or both partners knows that they don't want to do this. So one, if you are with somebody who is not willing to match your efforts, does it? They don't. Ha- maybe they don't have the skills. Maybe you know you understand more things than them. But effort needs to be matched. It needs to be reciprocal. And if you don't want to, and I think that is the place where most people struggle, especially before I think in and out of marriage in mm-hmm. relationships, is being willing to own the fact that you know in your heart that you don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. You. Maybe you have kids or everyone says you're a great couple or you own a house together or it's you have history. It's one of my favorite movie lines. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you. I was say, what movie is that from? Love Jones. Oh, God. Oh, he's really? like, we got oh, all this history. Now, you know? And she's like, but that's all we ha-. She's like, all we have is history and that's not enough. Yeah. And I think so often that is more by far. That's the thing I see most often. There's obviously I'm going to let James handle like. There's obviously some other core things like abuse and, and other really very clear cut reasons okay. that you shouldn't stay. But I think it is about asking yourself that question. All right. Is it, so so is, is, is effort being matched? Is effort being matched? And do I want to do this? Okay. So in uh, real quick, and, and mm-hmm. Dr. J, you can get in on this too. <laughs> yeah. Um, is what happens? Because there were so many people that had actually asked me coming into this. Well, you know, and actually there's a lot of ladies saying, you know, my husband just doesn't want to go to counseling, yeah. right? Or my husband doesn't want to, he thinks it's just going to resolve itself. So are, are, are you insinuating that that's it? So I would say, and yeah, go ahead. I, so just to sort of clarify, I think there's a difference between somebody who is hesitant to go to marriage counseling and we can talk more about like, mm-hmm. how do you broach that subject and how do you kind of make that seem like a more palatable or less scary Um, place to go and somebody who's literally like, I'm not changing my behavior, whether they say it directly or you watch over time that they may say they're sorry, but their behavior is not Mm -hmm. changing. They are not willing to do any of the other things, read books, listen to the podcast. And basically it's just sort of like, this will be okay. Okay. Yeah. That's part of what I I was thinking about in terms of going to the question of like, you know, I was actually thinking about a client I just saw uh, what two days ago, and who's really struggling with: Do I put in all the work, or do I put in the work that's necessary to to hopefully see if this could get back on track? And some of that is the unknown, right? Not knowing if I put in all this work, will my partner do the same, right? Or will it actually change? And I, I think some of it is if your partner is crossing the boundaries constantly. Right, is is showing you in your face that like they really don't want to do the work or they're not willing to make any adjustments, I think that's a sign that, okay, don't put in the work. But there's another part of me that says I've seen that sometimes one person has to be willing to put in enough energy and enough work to then get the other person on board. And what that leads me to is that it's an unknown leap of faith. Wow. And if you are willing 
to say, you might need to say like, all right, for a period of time, six months to whatever, I'm willing to put in this work mm. and see what happens because you While just While they're just sitting know. on the couch. While they're sitting on the Hands couch. Hands in the pants. Right. You're, you, <laughs> yeah. Enough if, you know, as long as it's not the, the crucial like right. abuse and all that stuff, as long as they're, they're there and you're willing to say, I'm going to give it my all mm -hmm. because you have to at some point be willing to go 100% in. In, okay. Because it doesn't work if you give 50%. Okay. All right. So yeah. can we go deeper on this? Because yeah. this, yeah. this is something that, that, that I've seen pop up a lot. And what I, where I want to go is the non-negotiables first. Mm -hmm. What are those hard non-negotiables where it doesn't matter if they are going to put in the work? We're just, you know, so you said abuse. This is one. I would assume physical abuse. Mm -hmm. But is that verbal abuse as well? I mean, wh where do we draw the line there? I would say abuse of all kinds. And yeah. I, I say that as somebody who I've done a lot of work going all the way back to graduate school with couples where there's domestic violence. So I'm not, which is not to say that there can't be work done and that the, some people- Some people can recover. Can yeah. recover, but physical safety is always paramount. Like it, that process, you need somebody who really specializes in that. You mm -hmm. need the partner who needs to be in their own individual work. Like there's very specific kind of parameters around that. Mm -hmm. But I would say physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, financial, financial abuse. Spiritual, okay. even for those who yeah. are faith, right? Like there's ways that people can use control in all of those ways. Okay. And it's just detrimental, right? Anywhere where somebody's using power and control with their partner, it's hard to for those people to feel like they're on the same page or on the same level. Okay. And, and so for me, that that's a non-negotiable. So those are yeah. all non-negotiables, which, which means that we should separate. We can still work to rehabilitate the relationship, but we should separate immediately. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. All right. That's fair. So now, and that's interesting. You both agree on this. So this is good. Mm -hmm. So, so now. That's right. <laughs> I feel like high five. Yeah, I'm like, high okay. five at each other. They're like, right now, we agree. We're in agreement. We're in but, agreement. No. Uh, so, so, so now, all right, let's, let's move to the next phase, which I think is, okay, my partner doesn't fit the non-negotiables, but they're trifling. All right. But I'm willing to put in four, five, six months of work. How do I now inspire them or ask them to do something? I, I think you ask. And, okay. and yeah. I think oftentimes what happens for couples um, is we ask in the moment where it feels like a crisis. We ask in the middle of a fight or right after a fight, or we ask when, you know, you're sick of them sit on the couch playing video games, not paying attention to you, or, you know, she just came in from like yet another girl's weekend or whatever. Like, yeah. you no, know, you need to ask at a time when you actually feel connected because okay. the request isn't about you're being bad and this is your punishment. The request needs to come from a place of I'm feeling disconnected or whatever the things that are not working in a relationship and talk about it as a we. We are not having the same experience that we used to have, the, that joy, that connection, that love, that passion. And I think that we should go together or, you know, separately and then mm -hmm. do some work so that we can have, you know, a relationship that is fulfilling for both of us. And like asking from a place of, of um, it's an invitation, not a demand. Okay. And I often okay. see a lot of folks very similar where they think they're asking, but they're not. Yeah. Uh, it's in their mind, <laughs> it's in their gestures, and oftentimes what I'm doing with couples is helping them translate, Let's. what is the question that you're asking with that statement, right? Yes. Or it's after a rejection, somebody wants to have sex, somebody, the other person says, no, we never have sex, you don't care about me, you don't love me. Oh, 
all of a sudden, no sex means you don't love me. Right. But they're not talking about what are the ways they want love, need love, need connection. And so a, a lot often is helping people redefine and be clear about the question that they want to ask. Okay. So, so teach us, how do we ask? Right. So I, in particular, I know that there is one listener at least. <laughs> I know we have at least one. All right. Somebody's downloading this damn podcast, right? There's at least one. But uh, somewhere. <laughs> somewhere, right? In Brunei, we got one listener. Um, but there's one person who messaged me. I'll, I'll never forget this message. She said, she said, Paul, you know, uh, every time I argue with, with my husband, he leaves. Uh-huh. And then he doesn't return home until the next day. I'm trying to figure out how I can encourage him to just work on something together. It doesn't even have to be counseling. Let's listen to a podcast like this one. Yeah. Like, let's do something. <laughs> what, what should she do the next day when he comes back home? At what point should she make the ask and what should the ask be? Oftentimes what I see with that is, so the backstory to that most of the times is that uh, he deals with whatever issues by needing some time, needing some space. Maybe he takes some time to process. Maybe he feels overwhelming. He needs some space. But what he doesn't do is come back and say, like, I'm ready now. And because she's used to him probably just always needing space, when she does find him, she goes all in. Yeah, true. And true. it becomes so intense. So over. It, oftentimes, for probably for him, it feels suffocating. So the the next day, what I would say is, look, can we find a way to set up a time to talk, right? To kind of be real concrete about it. Okay. And given space like if there's a point where you feel overwhelmed or you need to take a time out or you need to take a breath let me know and i will stop okay right so it's her acknowledging i need i need a concrete time and space but i also realize that i can sometimes maybe be overwhelming and i'll give you the break that you need all right fair and if he doesn't commit to the time then he's not putting in the effort so therefore she should bounce okay Maybe. Maybe. A couple more tries. But a couple. Well, okay, and I. For I, me. I, yeah. <laughs> and, and I want to be clear. Like, I really want couples to stay together. That's a lot of what I do. Um, but I think what that that dynamic really sort of in, like she feels abandoned and alone. And so she's looking for a connection. And he gets, as George you know, said, he's overwhelmed and he's flooded with all this stuff. And like. And this is me, which I'm sure I'll do all podcasts going, this is my plug for therapy. Like what's missing in that dynamic is both of their ability to regulate their emotions in conflict. Mm -hmm. And so they're both feeling like the relationship is both a dangerous place and it's in jeopardy. I'm going to lose connection. For her, that means you go all in. Right. Right. I got to like, basically, I got to like tie him down Mm -hmm. so I don't lose him. Stand by the door, you know, all this stuff. And for him, it's like, this is so overwhelming. I'm, I'm suffocating. I'm drowning. I have, the only way to save this is for me to get out because I don't know what I'm going to do. Yes. And actually being able to like get at that Mm -hmm. process and Mm -hmm. repair it is extraordinarily difficult. And that's really what. That's what going to couples therapy is about. Like it's that that process is hard. It slows it down. I and mean, it, mm-hmm. you need an, a third person who watches you do that and goes, okay, okay. I can see that I like, I can pay attention to the subtle changes in your body language to know that you're getting yeah. flooded long before you feel the need to walk out of the right, room. Right. The other person talking to you can't and vice versa. So I think, you know, I agree with what he said and I think it's, coming at it from a calm place. And sometimes it's just being vulnerable. It's really 
being willing to be vulnerable with this person that you're afraid or that you feel like keeps doing things that hurt you. So being able to say, I know that when I bring up these topics or when we have an argument that it's really hard for you. Right. And part of me knows that that's why you walk out. But every time you walk out, I feel like I'm being abandoned. Right. I think that we need help so that I can show up differently and so you can show up differently. I'm about to call my wife right now. (laughs) (laughs) You want me to write it down? (laughs) Write down exactly what she said, right? I need all the words. But you know, is but is is it is it the case in most relationships that it's 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 one sided, right? Where there's one person who is putting in the work, one person who is making strides to make sure that the relationship is healthy and the other one slacks off. Not to say that it's it's only one person, right? Because I think about, uh, you know, my relationship with the Jill and I feel like our relationship is, is, always, is always kind of give and take where one of us is really in it the other one is 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 in it, but you know, and then then the other person is in it, and the other person in it, and ah, you know, if that makes any sense, in it, yeah. ah, right? Yeah. Um, but is but but is is that typically the case, or is that not? Are we odd? Are we oddballs? I, I don't. We're think not so. going to use that as the barometer for whether or not you guys are oddballs. Okay. <laughs> the ah. Uh, the, is that, that maybe, the, uh, and then I don't really think that that's Jill. It might just be you, Paul. Yeah. Just, but no, 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 no. But, but no, just, no, 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 but, no, no. I'm serious though. See, L- listen, was- yeah, let's say. See, this is bad. When therapists joke you, it's like you're like, what? Hold on for a second. Wait, wait. What does that mean? But, 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 but seriously though, I feel like this is the case. Is this is so? I'm speaking my truth. Yeah. Is yes. that I feel like our 18 years is. There are thinking thinking about the whole eighteen years, right? I think that there are. It's a rarity where we wake up and we're one hundred, one hundred. It could be eighty, you know. It could be one is one hundred, one's eighty, right? It could be you know one is fifty, one's eighty. But rarely are we one one hundred, one hundred. And what I've noticed about the questions, like the litany of questions I get, is it's typically someone who is saying that I am trying, but my partner mm-hmm. is just not trying enough i think that goes back to you know uh, what was shared regarding therapy is that going to the sports fans who are listening right uh, often talked about with football uh is that or any sport is that the game is fast right that when you're newly learning how to play it feels like it's so much is going on at the same time but the more you get skilled the more you get versed it feels like it slows down you see things happening as it as it's about to happen or while in the moment and i think that's what therapy is really about is to help you see the different vantage points because i i've been there still do that like i'm i'm working so hard i, I i'm bringing all this money i'm doing all this stuff in my relationship my wife could do so much more she could at least hug and kiss me and then and then if i listen to her story i realize well she's busting her butt too she's doing all of this and it's really about me honestly being selfish and being con- filled with myself and thinking that my own, my vantage point is the only vantage point in a relationship, and that's not true. Right. And when we really start to hear each other, most times we realize that we're both putting in a good amount of effort. And if I can give her credit, she gives me credit, then we can work out. So this is interesting. So yeah. it's, it sounds like you're suggesting that for anyone who's listening that feels like they're they're the ones who are actually putting up the most effort in the relationship and they've been doing this consistently right that really it's about them humbling themselves enough to truly listen 
and try to empathize with with their partner. Man, that's asking too much. <laughs> that's what we did. <laughs> Why do you want me to empathize with this trifling? <laughs> like, and no. I think it and I think it it can be, and I'm gonna be maybe a little bit sexist, but you know, men and women are socialized mm-hmm. differently. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes that's a little tricky for women in particular. And I, I definitely work with men and no men where it also gets tricky is Empathy and compassion for someone else's vantage point does not mean, does not equate to that you don't get to have boundaries. And so I agree 100%. I think most of the time and probably in most of the questions that you've gotten, people's perception that I'm doing all the work and they're doing nothing is, you know, is similar to what George said. It's similar to what you're talking about with you and Joe. It's like, I think I'm doing all the work because I know all the things that I do. I don't know necessarily all the things that my partner is doing that they believe is helpful to the relationship in the same way that everything I think that I might bring to the table isn't necessarily helping us. Like I think it is. That's, that's my intention, but also being able to understand why people do things or Mm -hmm. don't do things doesn't mean that you have to flex your boundaries. And I think sometimes what happens when we get back to that, like, how do I make these decisions is you have a partner who's like, well, listen, I take the baby to daycare two days a week. And remember that one time when I fried that turkey and it, you really loved it, I put in a lot of work. And then you look at, you know, like, okay, but I'm, I do the, this, all these things. And what I really need are these things. You have a partner who's like, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. Like you can understand that like, oh, well, you know, they grew up in a family where like that would have been seen as love, but it's not for me. Yes. But your boundary still holds firm. Yes. And then that's the place where it's mm-hmm. sort of like, okay, do I, is this a person who's willing to negotiate with me around, I need certain things, right? Like I need, I need her to like hug and kiss me more because that's how I feel more connected. And if that means that she does less laundry, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, she's over there doing what, you know, this mm-hmm. thing that she thought was really helpful and vice versa. Like, I think, you know, me working these extra hours or, you know, putting in this extra time so we can like make more money makes her feel safe. And right. she's really like, I really don't need that. I would prefer it if you were just like home four nights a week for dinner. Right, right. You, so, I, I, all right, I love this, right? So. When I think about boundaries in particular, I think that I feel like they're tied to values. They're Mm -hmm. tied Mm -hmm. to expectations of the relationship. Now, what happens when you have one partner growing Mm. in a different direction than the other? So therefore, their expectations, their experiences are different. Mm -hmm. Their expectations are different, right? Then how do you reconcile that? Because I've noticed that also to be a major issue. And in particular, it's an issue now. You know what was what's fascinating about this is that I feel like 15, 20 years ago, it was men, the breadwinners going out, right? Mom would be at home doing the things that a mom does, the guys out. But now what's happening is women are outpacing men, especially yeah. black women, outpacing men in earnings. And, mm-hmm. and so therefore, you have this disconnect because there's a different set of experiences different set of values so how do you reconcile that and to to give a more just like straight blunt question is what do you do when you have two people who feel like they've outgrown each other or one feels like they've outgrown the the other silence my initial thoughts are so i'm thinking about my graduate students right so who are learning to become therapists and often we'll tell them there's a high chance your relationship might not succeed while <laughs> learning how to become a therapist. 
One of those reasons is that we also become high and mighty and we want to take the information <laughs> that we learn and bring it home to our partners and say, this is what you need to do. This is how you should be. Right. I'm this good person. Instead of what, because part of that is that they're growing, they're thinking, they're, they're thinking about their life and their family. A different way, though, is to say, hey, I read this article. I really think it's fascinating. I would love if you could read it. Right. I want you to be a part of my journey. I'm not going to force you or force feed this information. And so whichever way you're growing, if your partner is not there, there's a way you can invite your partner to at least know some of that and find ways to come back. But if you've truly outgrown each other and they're not willing, I think you're either at a crossroads where you need to decide if you're going to stay in or leave. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And, and then I think that becomes a, a that's a turning point. Um, and, it, and frankly, is a, is a topic I can speak to personally of having to really look at what are the ways in which we've outgrown each other? What are the ways in which I've grown that are no longer a good fit for this relationship? Or for this for this person, where I'm saying, no, I actually like these. This is how my values have mm. developed, mm -hmm. and these are the non-negotiables for me it, to be in a relationship. And I understand that I, that's a growth that I've had that you may not have, and that you may not see that. And having to really and it's an ongoing conversation with your partner, and then it is a lot of internal work around what parts of these are non-negotiable. And like, you know, I've, I have friends who had, you know, over time became more, you know, more religious and more, you know, invested in their faith was really a big deal. Um, and their partner didn't grow in that way. Right. But what they found was there was a way to reconcile that, like that they, they were okay going to church by themselves and they were developing this other set of friends and that their partner, while not interested, um, was supportive. Right. And, you know, I mean, in my own personal case, it was a set of things that it was like, well, we see these things very, very differently. And it's not my job to, to decide for you that what I believe is best in relationships is the way you have to do it. Right. I, and I like what you said, it's an invitation. And at some point you have to recognize when somebody is basically saying, I don't want your invitation. Mm -hmm. I like, that's not a party I want to join. <laughs> And then you need to decide like and and people make all kinds of decisions. But mm -hmm. I think when we when I was talking about sort of also effort, it is about recognizing that piece, too. Like that is that's more of an emotional effort. Right. Like we think sometimes about tangible things, but it is. It, and yeah. it's a difficult place. Like that's a much more I always tell couples when somebody is truly doing something, quote unquote, bad, that's an e much easier place to make a decision about the future of a relationship. Right. Then when you really have to just be honest and saying the path that we are both on is no longer, it could be running parallel. And then mm -hmm. you need to decide, like, is it close enough to make that, to make you happy? Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And for some people it is. And for some people it's not going to be. Yeah. It's, 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 it, it's much easier to have identified the slight deviations of the relationship yeah. early yeah. than, you know, than, than later. So, so how, how do we, let's talk about that. Like, how do we then we're early in the relationship? How do we then sustain great growth together? Is it, and is the antidote really just great communication? Because I, I, I think about, you know, this example that we're talking about, and I think about myself and right and Jill, and the toughest times in our relationship were actually when we were not working together, hmm. which is, surprises a lot of people. They're like, what? Now you got to work together? You got to talk together, talk to each other all the time? Well, yeah, actually, 
it works out mm-hmm. because we are talking to each other yeah. all the time. So we're literally on the same page. So is it is it communication? Is that the antidote to sustaining a great relationship? And is there anything else there? Or maybe I'm I, I agree. Uh, one of the things I often say uh, is that communication is uh, at the heart of everything. No matter what the issue is, whether you're talking about money or sex or whatever it is, you, you have to talk about it. So you have to be able to communicate. I, one of the things, though, I, I end up talking a lot about with my couples is the thought of how do you see your partner, right? So there's a way that when we first get together, we have these positive attributions, positive ways that we think about our partner. They're great. They're so outgoing. They have so many friends. Oh, they're so lovable. And then down the road, like, oh, my gosh, you're always going out. You're always at happy hour. When are you going to come home and be home? Right. So there's this where it flips. And I think what I think about is what are the influences that make you flip? Right. Is it the people in your family? Is it your friends? Is it what's on TV? Is it what's going on with you? And so those are the things that if you're not sharing those parts, because you could communicate, but not share that. Okay. And then you could miss that you're starting to drift apart. Okay. All right. So, 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 so precisely it's communicating. There's, there's almost this, this, this kind of key element within your life that you need to be communicating these Mm -hmm. almost pivot points that Mm -hmm. you're talking about, these touch points, these triggers, that's what you should be communicating. And how you see your partner, like that what you're doing now is actually starting to aggravate me. Right. Uh, Before I was all on board. Right. I was cool with it. Right. But somehow something has changed. Maybe because I saw it in my own family, maybe because of whatever it is, but to be able to share that, to go back to what was said earlier about being willing to be vulnerable in such a way to say like, wow, this feels different for me. Mm-hmm. And that's new for me too, but I should at least let you know that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I talk about those. I used to, I don't think I've said this recently, but I used to tell my couples, I'm like, it's gray cloud silver lining, mm-hmm. right? Like, the thing that you were, and I, I talk to singles about it a lot too. It's like the thing that you're attracted to, like, oh, I want somebody ambitious. I love it. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's like building businesses. He's <laughs> doing all these things. I also really want him to be home for dinner. And I want us to take a month off in the summers. Right. Well, those are not going <laughs> to, like, those don't go together. Yes. And like this person who's got this drive also has this drive that means that your life is going to look different. It's going to have different schedules. So I think also mm-hmm. just having some ownership of like, we start out seeing it only as good and and there's a cost to everything. Yes. Um, this will be, we're not totally in disagreement, mm-hmm. but I also used to run a workshop where I, for couples called communication is not your problem because most, <laughs> co- because here's the thing. Most couples, when we think of communication, we think mostly about communication skills. Mm-hmm. I, in all my many years of seeing couples, have almost never had a couple come to my office where they could not tell me the story. Like your skills are fine. You know how to talk to me. You know how to talk to each other. What's missing really underneath that, which I know is really part of what what you're saying is how do we communicate in such a way that creates emotional connection? And I think part of it is that it totally makes sense. Like working together would bring you and Jill closer. It's like, because Mm -hmm. you're sharing the most, like, I know enough about both of you to know that like the work you do is really important to you. And so you're sharing this really important part of who you are as individuals on a regular basis. And like, it's really looking at, I think that's 
that's the thing to commit to. Pardon the interruption. Just want to tell you about something that my wife and I have just launched and we are very, very excited about. It's called BWP Connect. Now, you may already know, but if you don't know about it, let me put you on, okay? It's a very safe place for those of us who value legacy, culture, and financial freedom through entrepreneurship to all come together and connect. If you are interested in more information about BWP Connect, simply go to paulcbrunson.com backslash B-W-P-C-O-N-N-E-C-T. That's paulcbrunson.com backslash B-W-P Connect. And now let's get back to the show. When I think about like really when we're committing to a long-term relationship, we're committing to marriage, it's committing to showing up every day and working on the emotional connection, the emotional intimacy of the relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not committing to like not fighting or Mm -hmm. not this or that. It's like every day I'm going to show up and do my best to be emotionally available to you and emotionally attuned to you. So like I can try to hear your feelings and your experiences and I will make my emotional life available to you in that way. I can see you're really good at what you do because did you catch that disagreement? That was the most polite disagreement <laughs> I've ever heard in my I slightly disagree with what you're saying. Just ever so slightly. Just, like, a tiny <laughs> bit. Just a little. It's like, you're damn wrong about that one. No. So And I got a workshop to prove it. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, and she's driving receipts on you like psh, psh, And it was successful. <laughs> what? <laughs> I can oh only do that because we're friends. No, I love you. Sorry, I love you. Sorry. And you know I would happily send couples to work with you. Oh my god! All right, so so now the 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 uh, I guess emotional communication, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. That leads to the sustaining of the relationship. Could we yes. we all agree with that? Okay. Yeah. So now I got to hit you with what about the physical? Because this was the top topic among all the questions we had. In particular, I want to start you with this one. There was a woman. I won't tell you her name, but it starts with an E. It ends with, no, I'm joking. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, she said, you know, actually this hit me. She said, you know, I no longer have interest in having sex with my husband. A matter of fact, it mm-hmm. disgusts me mm-hmm. to oh. think about having sex with him. Pretty strong words. Right. Disgusts me. I mean, what, I, what do we do? I have 15 more questions. Like, yeah, yeah. You, we, you need to come in and we need to talk about that. Like, no longer having interest. Already there's just questions, right? Like, how old are you? How long have you been together? Mm-hmm. Have either of you had health changes? Like, there's so many questions. Has it ever been enjoyable? Is what? it painful? Yeah, absolutely. Right. All of these various things. It disgusts me is like a whole next level yeah. of something has happened to her, to him, in the relationship or some combination of all three, because that emotional response to sex with somebody that you were presumably having some level of enjoyable sex with, that's a significant change that you need to like actually go have a conversation with somebody to really talk about it. But lack of, I mean, changes in sex drive. Um, it's awesome. Yeah, it happens. I don't know about you. I talk about all the time. I I agree. Everything. uh, So I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a workshop. (laughs) This is a bad time to say I also have a workshop on that, too. Yeah. But he was having sex this morning. So he has receipts. Yeah. (laughs) Listen, (laughs) you win. (laughs) No, but I think it, I agree. Like the whole thought of disgust, like the, the, 
it's palpable that word, right? The the, yeah. the visual thought of like be disgusted. Is it that you're disgusted at your partner's body? Is it disgusted at the emotional stuff? Is it that they never want to? Is it that they cheated? I mean, there's so many things that will right. make you think about that disgust is so powerful uh, of a word. But at the same time, couples have lots of struggles around sex. It's one of those things that as therapists, we have to introduce in the session because sometimes couples are not just going to come in and say, hey, our sex is off or our sex relationship or connection, but it's there. And right. if we don't bring it up, if we don't talk about it, we realize, or when we do, we realize that that's when the floodgates open. Okay. All right. So l let's, let's go down some of those, right? Mm -hmm. Let's start with cheating, right? Infidelity. It feels like we're in a zone right now where, you know, infidelity is, is, is it, it happens, it happens. Quite, quite a I bit. <laughs> quite a bit yes. you know so can a couple recover from infidelity Absolutely. and can a cover can a couple recover from multiple infidelities my position is in a, in a universal answer there are couples who can recover from almost anything mm -hmm. okay including multiple infidelities for sure is that easy work no that is that is very hard work with the therapist and a lot of time and a lot well, of rebuilding. Much. And, you know, I mean, it really, that's a very significant investment. And, and there are a couple of different ways to make that happen. But I think, um, so let's just take like a single infidelity. It happens. Right. And, and its impact on sex life is not predictable. Mm -hmm. Like for some couples that a partner yeah. finds out and like their sex, they maybe weren't having sex. And now all of a sudden they're having sex every day. Like, what was you doing with that person? We're going to do that, too. Okay. Right? Like, uh, it interesting. Could be like, interesting. It yeah. could be that, like, you're not okay. going to go do that with somebody else and not do that with me. And I've seen very similar where the sex uh, times increase initially after finding out about an affair or infidelity. Uh, but there, there are there's also, also lots the, of challenges. The, right. Yeah, and then yeah. there's lots of the opposite. Like, don't you're not going to touch me with yeah, the hands ever. that you use to touch him. Yeah. We're not going to do or that. Or in the same bed. Or, or yes. Yeah. So it, it can go both ways, I think. I think the core thing is being able to understand that for the majority of people, and I'm going to say sort of of a certain age in a committed relationship, infidelity is not very much about sex at all. Right. It's really right. about what's happening in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's about what's happening for that person. Um you know, I'll talk about it in terms of like sometimes it's it literally becomes like there's a piece of who you are that you have decided you can't be in this relationship. And so you go find someplace else to be to, that to be part that of person. yourself. Right. And so the emotional connection is usually a big piece of what mm -hmm. was missing. But is, is it acceptable to say that, let's say infidelity, right, that that is a non-negotiable? Is it acceptable for a partner to say that's a non-negotiable? If it happens, that's it. For some people, I think that is a non-negotiable, or at yeah. least that's where they start. Okay. I know I have a, a good friend who, before they got married, said, you know, if if you cheat on me, we're over. Yeah. And then, like, five years into the relationship, it was like, if you cheat on me, well, we can talk about it. Right? Like, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Wow. Right, right. We'll so like, once you have time in and other things, right, maybe some folks' children or assets or whatever it might be, you're more willing to reconsider. What I've seen, I think one one incident is definitely something that people can work through two gets it's it, i feel like it's exponential like two time, gets yeah. really hard but possible three or more we might be lifelong uh clients wow. you know like in terms is, of is like, that deep yeah. I, I think it's just it's so much and it's so pervasive 
uh, that it's really hard because as soon as you start to overcome one and then the next one happens and then trust is so so difficult in terms yes. of can I really trust you again? And I don't think those people ever get to 100%. Wow, wow. So, so how do we know if we have a healthy sex life? Because we're, we're talking about the importance of yeah. physical intimacy in maintaining the strength of the relationship. So how do we know that we're actually, you know, getting it on at the right frequency and the right level of satisfaction. Yeah. Like is the sex generally speaking, satisfying, fulfilling, pleasurable for you? Is it satisfying, fulfilling, pleasurable for your partner? And do you both generally feel like you're having enough sex? Nobody is going to be like, exactly on the money. One right. of you is going to wish you were having just a little mm-hmm. bit more sex and somebody is going to be like, either this is just right or I wish we were having just a little bit less sex. <laughs> but in general, like right. we're in the ballpark, that's a good sex life. There's no, like, you know, there's research. I think mm-hmm. I think it's gotten down to like one and a half times a week or something like that or Probably two-ish, something like that. Okay. It's kind of like in general when they do surveys of like couples who are satisfied with their sex life that's about it, how often people are having i think it's my like, my yeah. research is uh the jimmy kimmel show he did uh this bit where <laughs> he had people come in and i was asking them right how many times a week do you have sex and it, it averaged to about like you know or how, how many times a month and i think it was probably like somewhere between like six and eight yeah. right so it was like roughly about one to two times a week and a lot of times I think people just don't know that. They think that everybody else is having more sex. Right. 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 So that if you're if everybody else is having more sex, then we need to do more. Right. Or on the on the other side, yes. okay, we're we're good. We're having actually more than everybody else. We need to slow it down. And that's where I think some of the battles come yeah. out. Okay. So because you're a- not asking what works for us. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. if you are having sex twice a month and you both are happy. Then then you're good. You're so good. Go right. with it. So so it's are you happy with the frequency? And then are you satisfied with the the engagement? Yeah. Yes. William, is that an appropriate word? How, how, how would you say it? Well, you're, you're 22. So how would, how would you say it? <laughs> with the, you would say, yeah, how would you define sex? I called engagement. What would you say? <laughs> William's like, oh, gosh, whoa, whoa. I got to take my headphones off. It's a lot. Come on, man. What do you I, say? I was talking to the two. No, no, no. This hit me with the word. <laughs> what word would you use? Hookup. Uh-huh. All right. So if you're if you're satisfied with the quality of the hookup, sure. <laughs> I feel like hookup really implies not the but sex yeah, you're yeah, having no. in your marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's no. a very different sexual experience. All right, but yeah, although cool. you could, there, you, you could. could, you could role you play could. a hookup if you, you want, could. right? But I think the the other part is, I think what you mentioned is that it also changes over time. Right, that what you were doing when you first hooked up in the beginning, <laughs> right, might be different than like 10, 20 years later. Right. Or you might have a resurgence like 20 years deep and you're like, hey, hey, yeah, what's going we on? Got free time. Let's right. get the toys out. Yeah. Let's do whatever. <laughs> yeah. Let's you know, go just crazy. Able, just yeah. have fun. I'm blown away by the difference of satisfaction and the difference of frequency mm-hmm. as we get older. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I was always under the assumption, I believe most of us are under the assumption that as we get older, the frequency, like we drop off. Yeah. This is not the case, you're saying? Well, not for not at 40. No. And also, I mean, just biologically, women's sex drive and like interest in sex, yeah. really, like she's like right in her peak. When what, So when do women peak? Or when is that? 
climax. Well, I'll, I'll start. So to speak. <laughs> with, with guys, guys tend to peak in, you know, late teens into like probably like early 30s, right? Like that's that drive. And what they've said is that the overlap is that women are probably peaking somewhere like mid 30s on up. Yeah. Right. In okay. terms of like, not that they didn't like it before or intensity, but that there's higher could be a higher libido for yeah. some. Yeah. Okay. Think about how you felt about sex at like twenty two. Sorry, William. Didn't mean to call it your age. Like, <laughs> think about how William feels about sex right, right now. now. <laughs> not asking. Look, like you see how he's sitting? He's man spreading. You know what that means? I, yeah. I mean, he's ready. <laughs> Have you heard of man spreading? <laughs> He is. That's what he's doing. Yeah, I mean. Let's turn the cameras. Let's see. (laughs) For everyone to know. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, women that, yes, women are peaking into their 40s. All right. So now help me understand this. When I was, you know, William's age. Yeah. I was, I was, you know, I was highly interested in sex. But now I'm like highly, highly, like I, I have... For, I don't know if this is just me, if I'm an outlier, but I feel like I've, there's more drive. I have more drive than I than I did at 22. And oh, yeah. you know what I liken it to? And this is interesting to me because this is connected to so many of my uncles that used to say, oh, well, you know, man, don't get married until, you know, you're winning in life. Like, don't get married until you have a career, you're making some money, <laughs> you know. But as I feel, I think... Now this is gonna sound woo-woo too. As I feel more in love with who I am, mm-hmm. and I know who I am, yeah, and yeah. I'm comfortable with who I am, I'm hornier. <laughs> I mean, like, this like, is in fact the secret yeah. to having better yeah. sex and just it's, better gener- relationships in general. Is that yeah, the more in sync and aligned you feel with yourself, and like kind of like I I'm good with who I am, the better it is. Which is often why like women in there they have a like a biological push but mm-hmm. also as women get you know move past 35 get into their 40s women tend to let go of a lot of the social pressures yeah. around they feel more comfortable in their skin they're more in love with who they are mm-hmm. yeah. they know what they're doing i mean yeah so sex and lots of other things about life are going to be better and it really highlights that sex is not just physical, right? That yeah. there's so many other aspects to quality sex and connection is that if you feel good about yourself, if there's a nice emotional connection, if you're winning and you're having sex, like, all right, what else yeah. do I need? Yeah. I'm good. Right? <laughs> like, Life is good right, right now. Right. Like, I don't need anything else. else. Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. So, but William, though, at 22, did you, did you know this? Did, did you know that as you get older, you have this you know, ability to have better sex, more frequent sex. Yeah. I'm telling you, the kids need to know this. The kids need to know that sex is going to get better. It's going to get better. I mean, yeah, hopefully it gets better. Yeah. It should. Just, just by mere practice, it should get better. See, no, 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 no. That's that's another real point. That's a real point. Yes. You get more proficient. Yeah. You build up skill. And from what I've heard, those in sixties and seventies, it might not be frequency, but they're still getting it in and enjoying it. Oh, yeah. It. I mean, I work with couples in their in their 60s and 70s. 70s. I think the oldest couple I've worked with in the last you know year or so, they were 72 and 75. Mm-hmm. And we, we talked about their sex life probably more than anything else. Yeah. Man. 
I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, we should find. No, no, but think about that though. For real. Think of how skillful you will be mm-hmm. at yeah. 70. Matt, William, That's we're going to be dangerous. Just we're going to be dangerous. <laughs> really, we are going to be dangerous. Like, think about that. Like, yeah. William's like, I'm not even looking at there you, you anymore. You know, <laughs> but no, William, do you, do you have. So, uh, Dr. J, you just mentioned that multiple infidelities, this is a major issue because it destroys trust. We know trust is a foundation of a relationship. So how do we build back? Let's say that we have been not necessarily with a partner who's broken our trust, but we've been with partners in the past, multiple partners in the past who have broken our trust. And we begin to feel like, okay, is it me? It's like, what's happening here? (laughs) Talk to me about what does that person do? Because because they enter now every relationship suspecting that they're going something crazy is going to happen. So one of the things I even with couple even when your partner and I think just as a side note, every partner you have is going to betray your trust in at least a small way because mm. we're humans mm. and that's what it is. That's deep. So like this is always going to be some piece of the work of being in a relationship with mm-hmm. people. But I think absolutely there's rebuilding trust. I think we often overlook the fact that the place we often develop the most distrust is not with others, it's with our own judgment. And like, I think, and that's work you can take control over, right? Like we can talk about red flags, we can talk about things to protect your relationship, but at the end of the day, you can't control another person, but you can do work on yourself so that you can trust your own ability to both assess a relationship as being healthy and good for you, assess a partner as being like safe and reliable and like, you know, emotionally stable, but also that you have the resilience that if they do betray you in some way, that you will bounce back, that you will make the best decisions for your own, for yourself to take care of yourself. You will advocate for yourself. And I think oftentimes when people have had multiple partners cheat on them, right. That's right. what gets eroded. Yeah. It's not really that you don't trust other people. It's that you don't trust that you can keep yourself mm-hmm. emotionally safe in relationships. So what, what's the barometer, the test that we use to determine if someone is, is, is stable, you know, when we meet them? I mean, this is, I mean, this is, this is the magic question, right? Because <laughs> there are a lot of just, you know, terrible people out here. Consistent behavior. Consistent behavior. I agree. Consistent behavior okay. over... Over a period of time. Now, yeah. I'm maybe I'm a little bit too old school for folks. I think sometimes when people kind of rush into really serious, committed relationships fast, what I mean by that is I've had couples where they're living together four weeks in, right. they're married like you know two months in, three months, four months, and you just haven't had enough situations to show you who that person's really, what they're going to do or how they're going to interact with you. And I think to your point, I agree that it is about trusting yourself. And then what we what I've seen people do and including myself, we what we tend to do when we're hurt or been in a tough situation is we now try to guarantee the result. And so, oh, this last person, oh, that person was risky. They were out there. So now I'm going to pick someone really safe. Right. They'll never do that to me. They'll never hurt me. And then they hurt you. And now you you start to say, well. I picked that one. They were out there. I picked that one. They were not so out there. And so now I don't know how to pick. And it's really being able to say, not look at those big things, but what are the things that help you to feel connected and allow you to now take that leap? 
Yeah. I really like this consistent behavior over time. I think that's yeah. a barometer that we could use in business. Like we mm-hmm. could use that across yeah. the board. This yeah. is really good. You know, so let's say that, okay, we've consistently seen great behavior in many areas of that person's life. We're in the relationship. And as you said, they, they broke our trust a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Right? They did a little something, something. So what do we do at this point? Trust is fractured. It's a hairline fracture, Mm -hmm. but yet we know that it'll fester over time. So how do we address that immediately? You got to talk about it. I think it comes back to the the sort of the emotional communication, right? It's about being vulnerable. It's about having hard conversations. And I think when you're trying to think about like, what are the behaviors to look for? Where like the bonus point moments are not when you guys are blissful. It's how you repair when one or both of you mm-hmm. has done something or is hurt. Like that, those are the moments to really take note of. Like what happens when I say, you know, you told me you were gonna be here, but then you weren't, and then you didn't come home until whatever time. Right. And like, I have questions. What happens in that moment? Is this person mm-hmm. transparent? Are they apologetic? Can they empathize with how you're feeling? Or are they defensive or making excuses or dismissing or, you know, like, those are the things that help you to understand whether, like, where this is going. And it really, I, I mean, it seems like sort of basic I know, but that's, that's, but what, that's kind that's, of it. But that's it's what like, happens for us because we say these things over and over and over, and over, and over again. Right. So it becomes basic to us. But yep. it, I'm always amazed that it's like, it's like new knowledge for people. That is and, true. And, <laughs> it's like, really? I was like, but I think the other part of that is, you know, that it is a consistent behavior over time. Uh, but that consistent behavior is also about how we deal with negativity or struggle or challenge. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, okay, I know that you don't, you're not going to erupt. You're not going to be violent. I know that you're going to be upset, frustrated, and we can talk through that. So now we can work together on that. And I do agree about being able to share that, like, that hurts you or can we talk about this and seeing how that person responds will either be a red flag or a signal that you can keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. You, you know, this this makes me think about something because, you know, you talk about how, okay, it this should be obvious. Like, this should be common sense, you think, right? Because in other aspects of our life, we would probably be able to handle it. Like, I think about so many uh, professionals who are crushing it in their career, mm-hmm. and they could resolve, a, 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 you know, a work issue, a fight issue. Like, let's get into the office. Let's talk about it. But yet... When they get home, it's like, uh, what do I do? I don't want to talk to you. Like, what do I do? Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. So outside of counseling, therapy, where can couples go to get that independent person to to uh, uh, you know to, to 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 give insight on the relationship? Because it seems like everything that you're saying, it's it's like one is it's gospel, right? But it's also about having an independent person to kind of be the arbiter of 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 the of the of the situation of the relationship. So for the couples that said, okay, you know what, maybe we can't afford therapy, maybe we just don't want that right now, counseling. Is there anyone else that they can go to, or is it so I binary, think, yes or no? Like you got to go to the counselor. I mean, there are probably some issues that I think it does get pretty binary, like. Sort of like, I want to keep my heart healthy. Well, there's lots of things you can do. I think I had a heart attack. Go to the cardiologist. 
right? Like, so there are yeah. some scenarios where it's like, oh no, your relationship's having a heart attack. You need to see a professional. Like there is, yeah. I don't care what else you're doing. This has to happen. But for sure, there's lots of things to do. And it makes, you and I talked about this recently, like the things, and in fact, I just said it to William. <laughs> we are constantly being influenced by whatever is external to us. And so I think one of the things that couples should think about, and I talk about it in terms of even pro sort of protective factors around infidelity is you need to start looking at what's in your life. Like, even if it's indirect or unconscious, like who are your friends? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Where do you go? Like those things influence you. And so if you're thoughtful about, I think, um, really making sure that all the relationships in your life and the things that most, I mean, it doesn't all have to be like perfect, but mm -hmm. that it sort of reflects your values. Right. That you have friends that you can call who are going to let you vent, you know, be real friends, but who are also going to, you know, push you a little bit and they're going to ask some questions and they're going to give you a little bit of feedback so that you can kind of do that internal stuff. Right. I think that that can be a really good place. And I think sometimes being really conscientious about choosing to go to people who will be honest with you, not people who are going to necessarily make you feel better or know that, oh, I'm talking to this person because they're going to make me feel better. But later, I'm going to call mm -hmm. my other friend or okay. my relative or, you know, for people who are in church going to like a pastor or something like that, who's going to maybe check me as well as give me honest feedback about what my partner's doing. Yeah. You know, for, you know, for my wife and I, it was having mentor couples, right? We were actively involved in our church early in our relationship. I had a, a couples ministry and then we got involved with that. And it was a team. We got on the leadership team. And everyone that was there was married 10, 20, 30, 40 years while we were like zero. <laughs> <laughs> and they would share stories. And they would share these amazing stories and some crucial hard stories. But it told us like, oh, okay, that's normal. That's natural. And so no matter how many books I read, I didn't hear some of those things. And right. so I think there are ways that some people might not go to a counselor. And mm -hmm. I, I agree, the heart, if your relationship is having a heart attack, there should be a place that you're going. In addition, there's the books, there's the online stuff, but, but it's something about having a real open, vulnerable relationship with somebody who is just being real. Right. And right. having that connection where you can say, okay, they're not tripping or they've made it through this so we can make it through this yeah. or we can at least share that this is a part of what we're going through. And because a lot of couples isolate and they show something else to their friends and yes. family yes. versus what's really going on. Yes. And the only place that they sometimes open up is when they come to see us. But the problem is it's usually too late. Too late. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I, I mean, I think this is great because you often hear, especially on social media, oh, you can't talk to your friends or you can't trust anybody, especially in the church. I can't trust anybody in the church anymore. I don't even trust my pastor. <laughs> right. No, so it's, it's one of those where I like this. There are people, you, there, we, we should have mentors, mm -hmm. not just in business. We should have yeah. mentors in the relationship space. Yeah. And then we can talk to friends. There are people that yes. we can go to that will give us the blunt truth. Yeah, this yeah. is good. And having those relationships is important. I mean, relationship skills are transferable. So yeah. it's 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 also good practice. What, can you be vulnerable and intimate with your girlfriends or your guys mm -hmm. or like your cousins or your siblings? Like yeah. those are places for you to practice these same skills that you want to have in your romantic relationships. I think we we compartmentalize in a way that is unhelpful yes. um, to our own development. Yeah. All right. So now I saved the last topic because it's the most <laughs> controversial topic. 
William. <laughs> William itself. That's it. William. What can we say? That's there it, it is. Uh, I don't know. That's it. William, what, what do you think? We, so we've talked about sex. We've talked about more sex. We've talked about uh, just communication, general, disgusting sex. Disgusting sex. Uh, you know, we talked about a, a variety of things. What do you? What topic do you think I saved for the end? Remember, guys, William's he's twenty-two. William is uh, w- William. You know, I say William is Paul two point oh. He's he? he's so much better than me. Oh, I like that. Not yet, but no, no. that's what it is. <laughs> he listens to the podcast. That's exactly right. So, what what topic do you think we saved to the end? What? There we go, William. See, that's why he's that's why he's Paul 2.0. <laughs> Economics, the moolah, the money. Yes. Yeah. This is major. Mm-hmm. This is major. So I just have one question on this. This will kick us off. Joint bank account or separate bank account? I think there has to be at least a joint bank account. Different couples do different things. There needs to be a joint bank account. At least a bank. Uh, at least a joint bank you, account. I I have a lot of couples and. I, that find it helpful. I mean, there's lots of variations of this, but there's a joint bank account. Everything goes in joint bank account. And then you have an agreement about what goes into other accounts so that everybody also has individual accounts mm-hmm. because you are still individual adults who need to have autonomy to do what you do Okay. in your world. But I think particularly in marriage, because you are legally and financially intertwined. If you were just in a long-term relationship and maybe don't live together, then the there's a lot more factors to consider. This okay, is but, my but, but if you're living together. But if you are living together, there should year, be, I think at least if you're living together and don't have intentions of not continuing to live together, you share a house, you should share a bank account. Okay. I think Dr. beyond, uh, so think? I agree. And beyond the joint bank account is being able to assess and determine what you're doing with that account. Because you can have the joint bank account and nothing's in it, or everything is in it, or you're, but like, are, how how are you budgeting? Who has access, or yeah. how do you access? What are the limits that you put on the money that you do have for right. purchases? Like, what is your overall like financial plan? Because I think that's another place where there is significant betrayal, right? Where we agreed yes. on this, but this is what happened, mm-hmm. and now I can't trust you, mm-hmm. and I have to figure out some other way. Mm-hmm. Which I have clients where they feel like they need to control their partner because they can't trust them financially. Mm. And that leads into a whole bunch of other stuff. So I think being able to have more conversations about what are the separate and joint accounts doing? How do we want to use the money? How do we put money back and forth between these accounts? Because that allows everyone to hopefully be on the same page. Yeah, so I'm curious. Mm-hmm. I want to go to Selchuk. He's looking at me like, what in the Why? world? Now, Selchuk, <laughs> he is not only producing this, he's, he's the founder here at Switching Board. And Selchuk is married. Seltrick, how long have you been married, man? Almost four years. All right, break it down. What do you guys have? Do you have separate, joint? What's the situation? You have separate accounts. There's no joint accounts. See, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. The reason why I went to my man here is because I thought this was the case, <laughs> right? I thought this was the case because I see a lot of the newbies relationships four years in, they're like, look, it's we're keeping things separate versus the old school folks like me and my wife, you know what we have? Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Everything is in Bitcoin. That's it. It's in Bitcoin, stocks, and bonds. That's all we have. Um, we have one shared 
account. Wow. We have no separate accounts. A matter of fact, I have no idea how much money we have in our account. You said that before. I, 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 have, no, I have no clue. <laughs> I have no clue what our expenses are. I know boxes show up to our house every day with purses in them. No, but I, I want that, I want that life. <laughs> but no, 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 but no, no, but I'm saying, trace I, that, but what I'm saying is, but this is, but this is not through just good financial times. Yeah, right. This has been through bad. We've yeah. had one account. My wife is the CFO. Now tell me, what you see the difference between mm -hmm. this? And mm -hmm. I think it's in. It, it could be generational, but so so what is one good, one bad? I mean, what's that's why I mean, I think it, it differs. Like, you know, yeah. I think about my wife and I, we had our separate accounts coming into marriage. And then I think we we're like, I guess we should have a joint. But for the years, we never really had a functional joint. It was just both of our names was on an account, but it was really still your my account and her account. But it wasn't until we had more conversation about what do we want to do with those accounts? What's the purpose of it? And for us in particular, we like to surprise each other, right? So like we can't have a joint account and both of us check in and they're like, oh, that's where we're going. It right. just didn't work <laughs> out for us. So there was some actual practical reason for us. But I think people figure it out as long as they're communicating about it and there's trust. I think it's OK. That is fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a little bit like sex, right? Like, if it's working for you, the two of you, <laughs> then just do then, it. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, you should do what works for both of you. I do. I think. I think one of the reasons that having a joint account is helpful, and you don't have to have a joint account to make this happen, um, as you are my, now my example of. But my, again, much like sex, you have to have conversation, and I think that's really what happens yeah. for couples. Is these are two topics that. I would say, like, when it's good, it does. It's really not that big a deal. It's not that important. But when it goes bad, it is a huge deal. And the way to kind of manage that is like you need to just be having kind of just sort of like a like a state of the union. Mm -hmm. Like we yeah. need to be having yeah. regular check ins right. around like how much are we bringing in, how mm -hmm. much are we spending, what do we want to do, and like, and it's going to be a thing where like one of you is may maybe feels more confident than the other, but you don't want to get to a place where it feels like only one person is carrying that burden. And I think that can happen if you get to a place where it's like, oh, like I pay for this and you pay for that, then that happens. And then that can sort of build some resentments around, well, why do I always have to think about it? True. Or, you know, what are you doing over here and why can't I know about or it? Getting so, stuck, so, so, I'm sorry, the one thing I was, or getting stuck in doing something that you're really not good at or skilled at just mm -hmm. because you feel like you need to do it, yeah. right? Yeah. Whether that's what your parents did or what gender roles, whatever it is. I've seen a lot of people get stuck financially because like, I'm supposed to be able to do this, but you suck at it. Right. So you need to hand She's it over to somebody yes. else. Right. So let's yeah. leave right. her be CPA, yeah. <laughs> give exactly. it to her. Exactly. Do it. So, so, so I'm, I'm curious, given what we're talking about here, uh, are you considering now a joint account? We've been looking about it. Okay. Oh, you have? Yeah. Okay. All right. But, um, we, like she said, um, we are sharing the information. We are talking about it. And it's working. We can get to share the account. So the account, nothing's going to change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The situation yeah. is not going to change. The bank is going to win. We're going to pay fees. Right. Right. <laughs> So in other Selchuk, this is see Selchuk, you should be a therapist because in, in other words, he's saying no. This conversation didn't change my mind at all. Right. I'm right. not getting into it. Right. I'm good. He's like no. He's like we're doing the important part where we talk about it. I don't need like, to make any other changes. Yeah. Um, all right. This is this is uh th this has been very very enlightening. I want to you know end it with this. 
is that there is a meme that I've seen floating around on the interwebs forever <laughs> since Al Gore created the internet back in the day. Back in the day. Uh, and it says that if there's a problem in your relationship, it's because of both of you, not one of you. Is that fact or false? Fact or fiction, I'm sorry. True or false? I I ascribe to that and probably about 95% of that, right? So there's some things yeah. that I think that a person can cause havoc on their own. Uh, substance abuse, right? Like misuse of money, right? That some of that stuff could be just their own struggles that they're dealing with. But even things like we talked about, like infidelity, the person, what I often say is that person made the choice, but the root of that was still in the couple. There you go. What, what mm-hmm. opened the door was a couple, but you decided to walk through it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think I agree with that. I, <laughs> I tend to... <laughs> Well, I was like really thinking about it, and then like I kind of had my opinion, and then I started listening to George talk, and I was like, "Yeah, that's also very smart. That makes sense." I would say I, I think more than that. I, it's important for people to recognize like if there's a problem in your relationship, it is impacting both of you, and both of you have an equal responsibility to make a decision to do something about it. Okay, I like it. I like yeah. it. Well, Dr. J, Esther, thank you very much for being here. You know, I know that you guys charge thousands of dollars for what you do, <laughs> including workshops, including workshops and all this stuff. But but really, so I mean, workshops. thank you for coming, divulging all of this for, for, for the last hour, you know, and now Williams, Celtic in particular, you could save, you've saved like thousands of dollars. And you can now put that into your joint account <laughs> that you're going to open. All right. But thank you very much, guys. Thank, thank you, you for having us. Right, William, awesome. as always. Why are you here? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Thank you. 2.0. Just call him 2.0 from now on. Yeah, William. Everybody, give it up for William. Give it up for William. Thank you. Thank you. We've sadly reached the end of our show, folks. That is it for today. But next week, we have another incredible guest whose story is going to blow your mind. So thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next week. <laughs>